what the Bible tells us is that we should focus our eyes upon the Middle East. This is where God's hand especially is working at this time to prepare the nations to come against his people. And so it is countries like Iran and Turkey and Syria and Saudi Arabia and of course Israel where the eyes of the saints should be focused. And as uh, Brother Peter was telling us on Monday, the march of the rainbow angel is to deal with the situation that arises when the nations of the world gather themselves against Israel to destroy her as a nation. And the Lord God will intervene in those affairs to save Israel in their hour of trouble. And so nations like Russia and the EU and the Vatican and Iran and Turkey and Libya and Ethiopia will band together, we're told in Ezekiel 38, to come against the mountains of Israel to destroy Israel as a nation. But Ezekiel 38 also tells us that there will be powers that will be opposed to that invasion. These are friends of Israel and seeking Israel's good and not her harm. And countries like the UK and America and Australia and Canada and New Zealand, we believe, will be part of a, a group of nations which are opposed to this invasion of Israel. And when Russia does, as Brother Peter was showing us from Scripture, move down through Israel, down into Egypt, as Daniel 11, verse 42 and 43 tell us that he'll have control of Egypt, it is then that the words of Ezekiel 38 of this group of peoples who are opposed really comes to the fore. So what we're going to be looking at this afternoon is an exposition of this verse. This is the hinge pin for our talk this afternoon. We want to explore who Sheba and Dedan are and who the merchants of Tarshish are with all the young lions thereof who are opposed to this invasion because they're friendly with Israel. And what I want us to see is how our historic understanding of uh, Sheba and Dedan as the southern Arab nations and the merchants of Tarshish referring to Britain and the Young Lions, the Commonwealth, it is something which has stood the test of time, and not only stood the test of time, but in these last days is really coming to the fore. And in the past few days and weeks, we have seen amazing changes, which all fall, form part of our understanding of this amazing role for Britain and the Commonwealth countries in partnership with the Arab nations uh, in helping Israel in these last times and helping the Lord Jesus when he comes to establish the kingdom. <coughs> so let's first of all look at the origin of Tarshish. Tarshish is our main center. And so we go back to Genesis chapter 10 and verses four and five tells us that the sons of Javan were Elisha Tarshish, Kittim, and Adanim. 
And we're told that by these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, in his nations. The NIV just perhaps a little more crisply says, from these the maritime peoples spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. So from the dispersion um, at Babel, uh, they spread out. So just putting it in a tabular form, probably a bit easier to understand. So Noah's uh, first born. Now, just a, a quick word here. We in scripture read of Shem, Ham and Japheth. And that's because Shem is the main personage around which the rest of the word of God is going to revolve. But Genesis 10 and verse 21 makes it clear that Japheth was the eldest, uh, Ham next, and Shem was the youngest. So Noah's firstborn son, Japheth, his middle son of his seven sons was Javan, and Javan had these four sons, one of whom was Tarshish. And so when they overspread um, Elisha, we associate with the region around Greece, Tarshish, we move on to around Spain, though it uh, moves on. This is an ongoing story as they spread out. Kittim is associated with Cyprus and Adanim with the region of the uh, around Greece and the islands there. And so obviously Tarshish was the most adventurous. Their ships were superior to the other people's ships, they were able to travel further, and we believe that uh, Britain was populated by these descendants of Javan. So that's just an initial little glance at uh, Tarshish. Now Tarshish in scripture is very much associated with Tyre, and if we just look at a modern map and see where Tyre is, as we show in the box there, say Tyre and Sidon are often coupled together in scripture. There are some examples. They were both Phoenician seaports in Bible times. Now, Beirut is the capital of Monday. Lebanon was the scene of the devastating explosion on August the 4th, and I believe that that will have quite an impact in driving out Hezbollah from the region and helping in this new move to bring peace to the Middle East, which uh, Ezekiel 38 talks about. But that's by the by. Um, Sidon is uh, to the south of Beirut and about uh, 25 miles, 40 kilometers south of that is the port of Tyre, just north of the present border with Israel. Now again, just very briefly, um, where does Tyre come from? Well, we look at the genealogy of Noah, his middle son Ham, his last-born son Canaan, whose first-born son was Zidon. So Zidon was the uh, originator of Zidon of today, and his children were the Phoenicians, uh, and the chief of the Phoenicians was Tyre. So we can see that Tyre was not descended from Japheth, as Tarshish was, but from Ham and Canaan. These were part of the Canaanites. So 
Let's just look at some of the links in the past between Tyre and Tarshish. In 1 Kings chapter 10, we read of Solomon having at sea a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram, who was the king of Tyre. And the navy went and every three years brought back gold, silver, ivory, apes and peacocks. Now, this is obviously a, a navy which other passages tell us was in the south, Gulf of Aqaba, uh, close to Elat, Ezongiba. Uh, uh, and these were ships which would go southward to Africa and to India, bringing back spoils. But they used uh, uh, ships of Tarshish, a navy of Tarshish. Now, Ezekiel 27 is a very key passage for what we're going to be looking at. It tells us that Tarshish was thy, Tyre's merchant, by reason of the multitude of all kinds of riches, but especially metals, silver, iron, tin and lead, they traded in thy fairs. Uh, and later on in that wonderful chapter about all the merchants who did business with the trade fairs in Tyre, it says, the ships of Tarshish did sing of thee in thy market, and thou wast replenished and made very glorious in the midst of the seas. And then uh, in Jeremiah 10, it talks about silver spread into plates is brought to Israel, and I believe our Tyre from Tarshish, and gold from Euphaz, and so uh, into Israel came goods which had been imported into Tyre uh, from distant places. And 1 Kings 22 is very similar to the earlier reference we had of Solomon, Jehoshaphat, and made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir, uh, so down in the south, going to an eastern Tarshish. Um, but Jonah chapter 1 tells us that when Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, he wanted to get as far away as he could, he went down to Joppa. He found there a ship which was going to Tarshish, booked his ticket uh, and went on the boat, hoping to go to Tarshish away from the presence of Yahweh. So again, an indication, Joppa obviously is on the western shore of Israel, on the eastern Mediterranean, indicating that this Tarshish that he was going to was to the extreme west of Israel. And then we have some passages which, when we look at the chapters, and we haven't got time to uh, examine them in any detail, but all seem to have a future application uh, and so Psalm 48 is telling us of some uh, future time when the ships of Tarshish will be broken with an east wind associated with the time of the return of Israel's king, the Messiah. Uh, and we read in Isaiah 23, didn't we, of the howl ye ships of Tarshish when your strength is laid waste. And the Isaiah chapter 2, very clearly an end time section talks about God's judgments upon all the ships of Tarshish. And Isaiah 60, again, a wonderful chapter about the uh, time of the coming and the establishment of the kingdom in, when Jesus returns. Surely the isle shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish first, 
to bring my sons from far, their silver and their gold with them, unto the name of Yahweh thy God, unto the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. So indicating that these ships that should belong to the latter-day Tarshish power will be used to bring back the Jews uh, when the kingdom is established in Israel. And again, Ezekiel 38, we've, uh, uh, this is our key verse, the one that we already looked at. Uh, and again, in Psalm 72, again, a future time that the kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts to Israel's new king. And Psalm 45 gives a wonderful picture that the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall entreat thee. And just the last two references on this particular link. Uh, Isaiah 66, again a future chapter, telling us how God's going to send to those that escape of them unto the nations. That's uh, post-Armageddon to Tarshish, Bull and Lud that draw the bow, and Jubal and Javan, to the isles afar off that have not heard my fame, neither seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. So Tarshish and these other nations, these islands afar off, are going to uh, submit to the Lord Jesus early on. They're going to tell the world that this is the Messiah. He's come back. This is Israel's king. And then lastly, just an intriguing uh, passage from the Gospels. It's in more than one Gospel, but I've put Luke's there. It shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Zidon and the judgment than for you. And what I just want us to look at, we read by way of introduction from Isaiah chapter 23, is just look at the links between Tyre and Tarshish in this chapter. Now it opens with the destruction of Tyre, that initially that was uh, the old city of Tyre was destroyed by the Babylonians and they moved over onto an island half a mile offshore. Uh, and it was Alexander the Great, around uh, about uh, 330 uh, BC, that came and besieged Tyre uh, and eventually conquered it and broke its power. Uh, many fled, many were slain, many were sold as slaves. But this chapter is all about Tyre and it's come to an end. And so the ships of Tarshish from this distant place that did a lot of trade with Tyre, would naturally howl because that market has dried up. Putting it in modern context, we can imagine that the French are going to feel in a similar position when, after Brexit, they're not, no longer allowed to trawl at their will and plunder the British fishing um, seas. So Tyre has fallen ships of Tarshish are handling. But then he goes on to say that um, just as Tyre had fallen, because when Alexander uh, took Tarshish, he had also gone down into Egypt and taken Egypt, there is this indication that Tyre wasn't finished. It, it, it tells Tyre, Isaiah tells Tyre to pass over to Tarshish. How 
ye inhabitants of the isle, is this Tyre, your joyous city, whose antiquity is of ancient days, her own feet shall carry her afar off to Sodom. So there seems to be an indication there that Tyre's feet were going to go afar off, uh, and it's linked passing over to Tarshish. We'll expand on this in a moment. And then the next few verses says, Who hath taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes? That Yahweh of hosts hath purpose to stain the pride of all glory and bring to contempt all the honourable of the earth. So it was in God's purpose that Tyre at that time should be broken. But she's told to pass through thy land as a river. O daughter of Tarshish, there is no more strength. So Tyre is now termed the daughter of Tarshish. So there must be a very close tie between Tyre and Tarshish. So let's just pull together what we've found so far, that Javan's sons, including Tarshish, were a maritime people. Uh, Tarshish is closely associated with Tyre, described, just seen as a daughter of Tarshish. It was the Tarshish ships that brought Tyre her wealth, and Tarshish was the source of all kinds of riches, but especially silver, iron, tin, and lead. And then we saw that there was a future role for a, a latter-day Tarshish power, latter-day Tyre power, where uh, it talks about the merchants of Tyre, Tarshish, sorry, the kings of Tarshish and the daughter of Tyre, playing a latter-day role, uh, helping with the return of the Jews back to the Lord Jesus in his newly established kingdom. And it's very clear that they are an island people who are afar off. So now I want us just to identify the trade which Tyre had in the time of Ezekiel. So this is a map of the Phoenician um, colonization uh, at the time of Ezekiel. And from Tyre there, the ships went to and fro from the various colonies that the Phoenicians had established in the, especially in the southern Mediterranean. Uh, Carthage was a very important port. Uh, Tartus was uh, another very important port to them and the colony. And they explored up and had colonies in Cornwall and Wales and Ireland all part of a linkage with trade which would come back from this place in the north and bringing various metals back all the way back in their ships to the fairs in Tyre to be sold to the nations around. So their ships were capable of reaching all the way up and even the Greeks, this is Pythias in 325 BC, he had circumnavigated Britain uh, and we believe went off and uh, found Norway in this uh, circumnavigation of Tyre. And this is typical of the Phoenician ships of the time. Uh, they were ships which were capable of traveling by sea uh, and exploring distant places. 
Well, this is a map from uh, Marinus of Tyre. This is in New Testament times. And there's Tyre, there's the Mediterranean. And up in the north there is uh, Britannia and uh, Ireland. So they were known, they were mapped. These places were valuable sources of supply to them. So we go again to another map this time from the Penguin Atlas of World History, which indicates where various metals came to the um, fairs in Tyre, the markets in Tyre. And it indicates from the symbols that tin and lead came from the tin islands, as the Cassiterides were known. This is Britain, Cornwall, were known as the tin islands because this is where these riches were found. And just putting back up there that passage from Ezekiel chapter 27, that this was where silver, iron, tin and lead, as well as a multitude of all kinds of riches, came from Tarshish. So there's an indication that from Cornwall and Wales and other places came these various metals. Now, we know that the um, development of tin mining in Britain was well developed in the time of Ezekiel. And we're indebted to this book, which was published uh, 60 years ago by Her Majesty's Stationery Office, 1956. You can see from the thickness of the spine, it's no lightweight book. It's uh, 560 plus pages in there. But our interest is in chapter three. And I'll just enlarge that because I don't know whether you can read it, but economic minerals. And just taking two extracts from what it says in chapter three of that book. The principal economic minerals of southwest England are, of course, tin and copper ores and considerable amounts of ores of lead, zinc, silver, arsenic, antimony, sulfur, iron, and manganese have also been raised. And it goes on to say the date of the discovery of tin in west of England is not known, but it was being produced about 2,500 years ago. And considering this was written 60 years ago, that very nicely ties in with the time of Ezekiel 550, roughly, BC. So, yes, Tarshish, this was the source of the tin. And so those that I've put in italics are those that are mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 27. We know from other discoveries, this is the Nebra sky disk, which was found in Germany and dated to 1600 BC, so in the time of the judges, that uh, from chemical analysis of the lead and the gold in that sky disk to uh, show the different uh, constellations, that so they can uh, fingerprint the gold and the lead as it were, to Cornwall. Um, and in Scandinavia, just in the bottom box there, one of the pure tin ingots, which hadn't even been uh, used, this was found in a shipwreck, I believe, off Scandinavia. Again, when they use modern technology to analyse it, they can trace that it came from a mine in Cornwall. 
and probably most of you will remember just under a year ago that there was a report appeared in all the national press but a lot of tin has been found in shipwrecks off the coast and on land not only in Israel but around Israel and again with modern techniques of analysing the contents they were able to pinpoint the exact mines in Cornwall where these ingots which were found in Israel had come from. So again it's just so fascinating in these last days when Britain is just about to rebuild herself and perform the role that God had ordained for the latter-day Tarshish power. Here is strong evidence that Tarshish was in the days of Ezekiel and long before that was Britain. So let's begin to pull some more strands together. Um, so just look very more, more detail at UK, the Tarshish power. So going back to that passage that we looked at, that uh, Ezekiel, uh, the Isaiah, sorry, uh, told that the though Tyre was broken, was going to be broken, which took place uh, several hundred years later, but that power was not to cease. Her own feet were to carry her afar off to sojourn. And when we come and look at the ending of the power of Tyre in 332 BC, when Alexander succeeded in conquering Tyre, and as I say, uh, many were slain, many sold as slaves, but some of the merchants did escape in their ships. But what would happen was the spirit of Tyre uh, and the, you know, a, a place of trade where all nations would bring their goods to be sold to other nations. That spirit of time was not to end. In fact, Alexander himself, he built, uh, because he had just conquered Egypt in Alexandria, built a port there, and that became the centre of trade, replacing Tyre. And in New Testament times, we read, don't we, ships of Alexandria in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, and that lasted about uh, a thousand years, uh, Alexander as a key port. But as time went on, that faded, and it was the turn of Venice. Now, the dates I've put up on the top there, just take them as um, guidance, because there were build-ups and uh, fall-downs. But for about 500 years, Venice ruled the waves, as it were, and was the centre for trade. That came to an end, and for 100 years, Genoa, which was more convenient for uh, Western trade, because you didn't have to go all the way around Italy and Sicily. Uh, that became the dominant power to be replaced by the Portuguese at Lisbon, and the Portuguese went and explored uh, America and around. Eventually that power was overtaken by the Dutch. The Dutch were the great navies and explorers. And running in parallel with that, London gradually became the dominant merchant power, replacing Amsterdam. 
And so from the 1600 onwards, London became the mart of the nations, the great maritime empire who ruled the waves of the world. So now these tin islands had become the centre, the tire power. Tarshish had become the tire power in her own right. So what we're interested in now is to see what the scripture has to say about the Tarshish in these latter days. So going back to that uh, quote which we started off with, Shiva Didan, the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof, that's first of all because it is very important and very relevant to just tease out who Sheba and Dedan are. Now, again, it is to Genesis that we go to. We read in Genesis 25 that Abraham had a great grandsons who were Sheba and Dedan, and also an earlier generation, but again descended from Shem, uh, through Arphaxed, Salah, Eber, Joktan, he had a son, Sheba, and many brothers, quite a big family. Uh, I've just pulled out two of them, Ophia and Havilah. But then when we go back to Genesis chapter 10, we find that earlier Ham had a great, great, great grandsons, uh, Sheba and Edan. So in fact, we've got uh, three Shebas and we've got two Dedans. So the ones descended from Ham were the first, and we learn from uh, this Castell's illustrated Bible dictionary that Dedan, the place where they resided, is believed to be identical with the Dadan of the Middle Ages, now called Bahrain in the Arabia deserts, an island on the western shores of the Persian Gulf. So there's little Bahrain, um, and uh, Castells tells us that this is where uh, Ham's descendants, Didam, this is where they lived, uh, and they spread into downwards into the region um, because they were merchants of many isles, so they spread from that island to other islands in the vicinity. And they brought to Tyre um, presents of tusks of ivory and ebony. So going to India, going to Africa, uh, and bringing back trade to Didan, and then across by camel to the fairs in Tyre. Uh, Sheba, uh, the Hamitic Sheba, we find in the south of the Arabian Peninsula. So that's the Hamatic Sheba and Didam. So next in line, as it were, in genealogies downwards, is the uh, Joktan's Sheba uh, and his brothers. Um, they uh, were spice people. Now Joktan gave his name to the city of Jektan, which is found near um, Mecca. And his sons moved southward. And Sheba seems to have intermingled with the Hamatic uh, Sheba and be more powerful. These were powerful tribes. Uh, and this is the queen of Sheba. Um, 
because they were occupied with spices, so that links in, and gold, which the Queen of Sheba bought. Now, uh, this Sheba has brothers, and I'll just pull two of them out, didn't I? Ophir and Havia, which again indicates this was the region that they dwelt in. So the last ones was Abraham's grandsons, Sheba and Dedan. Now at Al-Ula, which is marked up on the map there in blue, pottery has been found with the graffiti. Rahamil, the son of Bosrak, camped in Dedan. So obviously uh, this city, which is now Al-Ula, was originally Dedan because this is where this pottery was found. And that agrees also with uh, another passage from Ezekiel, which links Dedan being close to Teman, make them desolate from Teman and they of Dedan. So they're linked together, and of course, Teman is in the south of Jordan. So if we put all these together, oh, sorry, yes, the, the Sheba, sorry, uh, again seems to have moved down to the south and be associated with the Hamatic and the earlier Shebas. Um, historians put all the Shebas down in the south. So, yes, so we put them all on the map. Then that's indicating to us that this region of what we term today the Gulf states is very much involved with Sheba and Dedan. And we know that in the latter days, from what Ezekiel 38 says, that they're going to be friendly with Israel going to be opposed to the invasion uh, of Israel and Egypt by Gog. And so how remarkable, the news just, uh, what, six days ago, um, stunning US, sorry, stunning Israel-UAE deal upends the rules about peacemaking in the Middle East. It represents a fundamental shift in the paradigm of peacemaking says this article on the 14th of August. Now the next day was an absolutely remarkable article. Mabruk and Mazel Tov to all Muslims and Jews in this new era of peace. And he says, I believe this is the beginning of region-wide peace. But the interesting thing is that the author is the president of the World Jewish Congress. Well, it's not remarkable that he'd write such an article. But where was it published? In Arab News. Arab News is the leading Saudi Arabian English newspaper. And so this Jew had his article published in the Arab News on the 15th of August. On the following day, it appeared with a different picture, um, but the same article uh, in the Jerusalem Post. How remarkable, Saudi Arabia agreeing with what the UAE was doing and allowing this Jew to write an article. Absolutely remarkable. And then the following day was this from Israel in Unwired, a very interesting site. Peace deal with the UAE sets up final war with Iran. And we know that Iran is going to be part of that confederacy. The first named compatriot of uh, Gog is Persia, which is Iran. Uh, and what did this article say? 
There are moments when one can sense a real pivot, a change in the global dynamic. We are now living through one. The emerging peace deal between the UAE and Israel, and most likely Bahrain and Amman, are not small things. This is a complete realignment of the region. Uh, and what is so important is that this is what Ezekiel 38 earlier had talked about, that there was to be, there will be, there is to be, get it right, a time of peace and safety for Israel before go comes down against the land. And we're puzzled for a century and a half. How could this take place? But we're seeing it before our eyes. Here are nations, this is the UAE, United Arab Emirates, uh, and other nations like Bahrain and uh, Qatar and Oman and Saudi Arabia are all wishing to go along with this movement and make their own agreements with Israel in these last ties. And so we're seeing a confederacy, a Sheba and Dedan alliance with Israel. Truly remarkable. And who's been leading the opposition to this agreement? Why? Iran, Turkey, Syria, uh, and some of the Palestinians have been jumping up and down and saying, this isn't right. So what are we seeing before our very eyes? We're seeing a southern grouping of nations friendly to Israel uh, and a northern grouping which extends upwards into Russia and across into the EU who are opposed to Israel. Truly remarkable, brothers and sisters and young people. We're seeing scriptures coming to pass before our eyes. So having looked at Sheba and Dedan and seen how wonderfully they're suddenly springing into action, let's now look and identify how Britain is this latter-day Tarshish power. Only Britain fits all the clues. And when we're seeing this fit just at a time when Britain is building herself up, ready for this future role which she is unaware of, she wants to be a world trading power. She wants to go where the business is. And that's leading her into the Middle East, as we shall see. But this in God's plan is to have a power that can work with the returned Lord Jesus in establishing the kingdom and spreading the gospel throughout all nations. So, uh, the Bible references tells us that the latter-day Tarshish power will be an island power, and of course Britain is an island power, uh, and Isaiah 60 tells us it's a maritime power, which Britain is. Uh, Jonah fleeing to Tarshish shows it was to the west of Israel, which of course Britain is. Ezekiel 38 talks about the merchants of Tarshish, now, Britain is a unique combination of four countries, uh, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, all merchant powers in their own right who are confederated together to form one unit. But, you know, how fascinating. Two and a half thousand years ago, the spirit moved Ezekiel to write the merchants of Tarshish, because Tarshish is a group of merchant powers. So that fits.
Now it's clear that it talks about her young lion, so that must indicate that these merchants of Tarshish are in the fact the mother lion from which the young lions come. And we know the cartoonist, this is the, one of the most widely used symbols for Britain, isn't it, as a lion. And the Commonwealth for the young lions. Now we're going to look at this aspect uh, next. But yes, she has young lions. This is a uniqueness of the British Empire. She has a group of independent nations now willing to work with her when the time comes. And yes, she's the source of tin, lead, silver, iron. We've seen that. Yes, she's very much allied to Israel. Um, Israel does a lot of business with Britain. The United States is the best market, Britain the next best. Um, Britain heavily involved um, working with Israel at this present time. So again, that fits. This is a power friendly to Israel. And history tells us that the early Britons were descended certainly from Javan, uh, perhaps a question mark whether from Tarshish to be proved, uh, but certainly we can show that uh, Britons descended from Javan. So I believe that only Britain fits the bill. And there are two more clues, fascinating ones. When we're reading through Isaiah chapter 23, it had this to say that Tyre, and this is clearly a latter-day application because of the last two verses which are highlighted in yellow, is talking about the future, but there is to come a time for this latter-day Tyre that she herself is going to be forgotten uh, for 70 years according to the days of one king, uh, and at the end of that 70 years, then she's going to revive and sing as a harlot. And so it says at the end of 70 years, God will visit Tyre, she shall turn to her hire, commit fornications with all the kingdoms of the world upon the face of the earth. And that's just what Britain wants to do, isn't it? And it then immediately goes on to say that the real reason why God is visiting Tyre and allowing all this to happen is so that her merchandise and her hire shall be devoted to God, shall be holiness to Yahweh, shall not be treasured nor laid up, for her merchandise shall be for them that dwell before Yahweh, that's the Jewish people, to eat sufficiently and durable clothing. It's just a bit unfortunate, I think, the authorised version, uh, eating sufficiently, doesn't really convey the idea. The, the idea is to eat to the full and abundance, and that's how it's used in chapter 39 and verse 19. Durable clothing sounds a bit plain and ordinary, doesn't it? But it's used in Ezekiel 27, verse 27, something eminent, choice, surpassing. So the wealth uh, and the ships is going to be used by God to help the Lord Jesus in establishing the kingdom. So it's going to take place after 70 years, the days of one king or one monarch. Now the queen is the oldest ruling living monarch in the world. She hasn't quite been reigning for 70 years, but let's just put up her life story in fairly briefly. 
time moves on. She made her first overseas tour in 1947 when she was 21, when she pledged that I declare before you all that all my whole life, whether it be long or short, I shall be devoted to your service. And she certainly has fulfilled those words. She got married at the end of that year. Uh, and then in 1951, when her father was very ill, she had to take over and she and Philip went to Canada and the US on an official tour in October 1951. I think it was quite significant that going to Canada and the US. Uh, her father died following February and she became queen, coronation the next year. And then that year, as part of the Commonwealth celebrations, she went on a Commonwealth tour. And the Queen has been the power that's held the Commonwealth together. Without her, the Commonwealth would have perished. But I believe that this was her lifetime's work, to hold the Commonwealth together for what? For today. Now the Commonwealth comes into relevance as Britain extracts herself from the EU and is free to trade again. Uh, with her Commonwealth countries. And so I believe that Britain, having gone into decline as a result of World War II and her expenditure there in that war effort, and then going into the EU and being subsumed to the EU, we're now coming out of that period. And God willing, if the Queen would live uh, another year, um, if we date her first official duty to this tour, then in a couple of months in October of this year, she'll be entering her 70th year. And then at the end of that period, uh, from what Isaiah says, then Britain will be totally free of her shackles, ready signed with all the uh, agreements with her Commonwealth neighbours and friends to be this Tarshish power to build herself up. So that would take us to October 21, if we, sorry, if we date it from when she became queen, then that would push it on another four months. So I believe that we're living in very exciting times and Britain is emerging as a, a maritime power. So this is some research from the Defence Studies Department of King's College London back in March. Britain maritime strategy in the 2020s. The UK will, in the course of the next decade or so, benefit from extensive investment in maritime capabilities, most notably the Queen Elizabeth-class aircraft carriers, Dreadnought-class ballistic missile submarines, Type 26 City-class and Type 31 frigates, uh, fifth-generation strike fighter and the maritime patrol aircraft. So she's building up. She acknowledges that she's got to be a maritime power to play an independent role outside the EU. And very interestingly, this is going back uh, just over a year, that uh, the RUSI, which is the Royal United Services Institute, which is a British think tank in London, put uh, their resources together with... Uh, ICOM, the Britain-Israel uh, Communication and Research Centre, get it right, they put their heads together and held this uh, webinar 
and conference on what Britain's post-Brexit strategy should be. And lo and behold, they said, the UK in the Middle East, that's where Britain's strategy has got to be. And of course, Britain is very heavily involved. She has uh, six bases. Let's just put them up on the map there. She has a total of 16 overseas bases. So six, over a third of them are in the Middle East, which is quite significant. I just want to look at two. One is Bahrain, which of course was the original Didan. This is where the uh, Sheikh of, or King, King of, think of Bahrain, King of Bahrain, get him right, uh, has paid for this base to be built. This is where Britain has five ships permanently uh, at work. And Britain is playing a leading role in the uh, protection of the oil as it goes up and down the Persian Gulf, the Arabian Gulf, um, very much at the whim of Iran. And so Britain, uh, with Australia, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, United Emirates, and a few others, uh, and the US, um, their ships are patrolling this region and have been very active. But the United Kingdom has actually supplied more ships than America. So that's Bahrain, where Britain is very active. And the other is this uh, port, Dukama, which is, um, sorry, that's where it is on the map. So I'll just go back if I haven't upset the slide presentation. No, oh, yeah, there's, a, there's a map, uh, sorry, apologies. There's a map already there, isn't there, down on the bottom. I was looking on the wrong picture. Yeah, so that shows where it is. It's a huge port. Uh, it's nearly finished, very modern port. Britain and America have uh, big uh, docks there. Um, the British docks are capable of taking the two aircraft carriers uh, plus other ships. India also now has permission to um, have her navy send ships there. And because it's well around the coast, it's out of the way of Iran to the north and the troubles in the Red Sea. So it's a very good place for Britain to have a strategic centre. And this is one of the ports that at least one of the aircraft carriers uh, will be using. And it will be from here that Britain will be able to project her power over into India and the Indian Ocean and protect the um, Saudi Arabian Peninsula. So it's very interesting how Britain has been drawn there and events have brought this all about. So we're nearly there, let's just hurriedly move on and we just want to look at the young lines thereof. We believe this is the Commonwealth countries. So there is a map that's in 1898. So that was after the independence of North America. I believe that North America is one of the independent lions, young lions, along with Canada and Australia and India and New Zealand, um, as shown on the map. And the interesting thing was that this quotation from this book of revolution by Brian Innes says that out of the English Civil War came a race of Englishmen who lasted 300 years. This is when Britain took over the role of Tyre. The British Empire built the British Empire and saw it not crumble like the Roman and Spanish empires had done, 
but grow into separate nations as children do when they leave the family. And that's precisely what it is. These other countries are independent, but they recognise Britain as the mother country and will come to her aid when needed. And they are merchant powers. They have their own navies. Uh, America has many bases in the region here. 16 of them and uh, works very closely with Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Israel um, and you know is well established to be one of the young lions in the region. Uh, India is a merchant power, has her own navy. Again she's a great friend of Israel. Again she's working in the Middle East, so does a lot of trade with Saudi Arabia. She too has signed an agreement with Oman to use the port there. Uh, Australia, uh, again, a merchant power, friendly with Israel, uh, works in the Middle East. Canada, a merchant power, friendly with Israel, works in the Middle East. And so we see brothers and sisters and young people in quite an amazing way, the hand of God working today to bring about this great change so that Britain can be strong again, trade with the nations, build herself up with the Commonwealth countries so that they can be on hand when the Lord Jesus comes. Now, the critical thing, brothers and sisters, and young people especially, is that the Lord Jesus can come at any time. We don't have to wait for go to come down as brother peter was telling us on monday we don't have to wait for uh, israel to be invaded we don't have to wait to see uh, even the britain becoming free and independent the lord jesus can come back tonight we must make most of the opportunity that god has given us to put ourselves on the side of the lord jesus and these words of the psalmist put god's perspective on things. Yahweh bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught, he maketh the devices of the people of none effect. Or more crisper, Yahweh frustrates the counsels of the nations, he makes the plans of the people of no effect. And we've seen that, haven't we, in this country? Mrs May determined to keep one foot in Europe, and that wasn't God's intention, and so step by step she had to be pushed and pushed and pushed until eventually she was replaced by somebody who would be prepared to stand up to the EU and ensure that Britain goes that independent pathway. And although COVID has given Mr Johnson a shaky start, I'm sure we're at the beginnings of a great change as Britain breaks her ties with Europe with the enemy of Israel and makes her links with the Commonwealth countries, all who are eager to do business with um, Israel. And so we marvel at God's control. And two verses earlier, the psalmist said this, Let all the earth fear Yahweh. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast. We know initially that's talking about creation, the natural creation. But God is building a, a new creation, a creation of men and women who will live forever 
and be with the Lord Jesus and God's nation of Israel throughout the kingdom age and the ages beyond. And so what we're seeing unfold before our eyes and the great changes which are about to take place in the next few weeks and months, I'm sure, are all part of God's causing the nations, bringing the nations to recognise that he is God. He has spoken through his word. He has commanded. It will stand fast. And in that, we can place our confidence. Thank you. Thank you.